glad you're able to be here. Um, Aiden, I know you're sore, but if you wouldn't mind standing up and handing out some uh, handout to folks, that wouldn't be too troubling to you. Thank you very much. Oh, I don't know, maybe uh, one or two per family to be good enough for everybody. I don't know, people can share if need be. Um, reckon that's all right. <clears throat> I mean, we can always make copies if need be. Well, good morning, everybody. We'll let uh, let folks come on in here. Let me go ahead and open this up in prayer. We can uh, we can begin. Thank you all for uh, for being here. Let me uh, let me pray for us. Lord, we come to you as the God who has wisdom, but more important, the God who is wisdom. You're not just the one who gives us clever principles for living, but you embody those in every act you do, everything you are. Help us to see the folly of life apart from you. Give us wisdom to see the folly in ourselves and help us to not be bewitched by that, but to turn to you. We pray this in the name of Christ, who has become to us wisdom from above. Amen. When we come, uh, I guess, week three here in our series on uh, wisdom. I think there's even a couple of schedules back there for those who, uh, who would like one. Uh, as you leave today, you can get one. But uh, last week, we kind of looked at what wisdom is. We looked at a big in-depth study on what, uh, what makes wisdom wisdom. We did a lot of Hebrew. This is the last time. Well, no, not quite the last time. Almost the last time in our course we're going to have any sort of Hebrew at all. It's not really relevant, but I throw it in there just so uh, for those who care about such things. It's not, it's not important, really, um, except to note what the differences are. We looked at last week, Proverbs 1, what it means to be wise. We saw that wisdom is a lot more than what we think. Wisdom's not just a bunch of uh, common sense saying. It's not just ivory tower knowledge. But wisdom is hard. Wisdom requires learning. Wisdom is something you never totally get. And this morning, we're going to look at the opposite. It's always helpful to look at the opposite to know what something is. It's helpful to look at what it means to be uh, wise, but it's also helpful to see what it means to be foolish. You learn about something by looking at its opposite. Right? You learn what is the good by seeing what is the evil and avoiding it. And so before we get into our little category, our taxonomy, our guide to folly, I want to open up with a bit of a reading here for a second of uh, Proverbs 8 and then of Proverbs 9. Not, not uh, reading all of these, of course, but uh, some of these two classic chapters. Proverbs 8, verse 1. Does not wisdom call? Does not understanding raise her voice on the heights beside the way at the crossroads she takes her stand beside the gates in front of the town at the entrance of the portals she cries aloud to you, O men, I call. My cry is to the children of man. O simple ones, learn prudence. O fools, learn sense. She goes on to say, take my instruction instead of silver and knowledge rather than choice gold for wisdom's better than jewels and all that you desire cannot compare with her. Uh, we've looked a bit at this before, but this is uh, what the uh, writers call lady wisdom. Wisdom is personified as a gal, as a lady. That's interesting. Let me read Proverbs 9, beginning in verse 13. The woman's folly is loud. She is seductive and knows nothing. 
She sits at the door of her house. She takes a seat on the high, highest places of the town, calling to those who pass by, who are going straight on their way. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. And to him who lacks sense, she says, stolen water is sweet, bread eaten in secret is pleasant. But he does not know that the dead are there, that her gifts are in the depths of Sheol. So we have here deliberately paralleled in Proverbs 8 and 9, we have Lady Wisdom and we have Lady Folly. We have these two gals portrayed to us. I mentioned last time that um, <clears throat> God does not just give us a bunch of rules. He does not just give us simply abstract principles. Hey, follow this. Don't stick your hand in the socket. You'll kill yourself. He doesn't simply say, uh, don't commit adultery. Don't steal. He says that, but then he puts it in picture form. He puts it not just in picture form, but he puts it in lover form. The whole book of Proverbs, let me sum up, up for you, and it's in one, one sentence. The whole book of Proverbs tells you that there is an order to life. We've covered this. There's an order to life. And the way you'll know if you're living in that order is by who you love. It's all about love. This little section here, Proverbs 8, Proverbs 9, right before the 290 Proverbs from chapter 10 to chapter 31. Right before those 290 Proverbs that none of us can keep in our minds altogether in the moment of the battle. Right before all that, God gives to us a picture of two ladies. He gives to us a picture of Lady Wisdom. He gives to us a picture of Lady Folly. And He says, this is the whole purpose of what it means to be wise. It's a call to an individual to make a covenantal decision, to make a choice in his life, in her life, to make the choice between wisdom and folly. Not just one time, but continually to fall in love with wisdom, to fall in love with her as opposed to falling in love with folly. You'll notice if you read through it that they're deliberately paralleled. Both the gals are standing on, on the gates. They're standing in the, in, the, in the way. They're calling to people who are simple. We'll look at the simple in a second. They're one of the categories of fools. The thing about the simple, though, is that they can, they can waver. They can make the choice between the gal of wisdom or the gal of folly. They don't know what they're going to do. And so much of our lives, you're faced with a choice every day between the gal of wisdom and the gal of folly. Therefore, the question is, uh, are you going to work with faith and faithfulness in those moments? How are you going to do it? If somebody were to ask you, what does it mean to be wise? I guarantee you that, it, like me, your temptation to say, well, you do this. It looks like this. This is how you act in this situation. But the Bible tells us actually that wisdom is a person. Of course, wisdom is Jesus Christ, ultimately, right, seen in him. But here in Proverbs, we have, very basically, a call for you to make the choice. Proverbs is not telling you, here is the last word. Proverbs is actually a call for you to continually choose wisdom over folly. How does it do it? It does it by making a proper noun out of a common noun. By making a proper noun out of a common noun. By making lady wisdom out of what is base wisdom. To put it very simply here, before we get into what it means to be to follow Dame Folly, to follow Lady Folly. 
Very few of us can hold together 290 Proverbs. But if somebody asks you what's wisdom, you can tell them about Lady Wisdom. Very few of us in the heat of the moment can remember the Ten Commandments. But when asked, what is the way of wisdom? We can say, I'm in love with her. I'm in love with her. I know she's better. I know she has more wealth than all the gold. I know that her fruit tastes better than the fruit of death, than the fruit of Lady Folly. This is why Proverbs is not simply, as I pointed out over and over again, it's not simply morality, and it's not simply scientific fact. It's not morality. It's not empirical fact. It's something far deeper than that. So as we, as we come to a guide to folly, it, it's important to note that really Proverbs can be summed up by these two women. And of course, we'll look at it down the road, but we have to connect at some point in time uh, the last chapter, right? Proverbs 31 with the picture of Lady Wisdom. But that's for a different time. That's for a different time. Any questions on, the, on that before we uh, get to the main section of our uh, time together this morning? Yeah, so right before all the... It, it's, it's these two ladies, right? It's these two women, Lady Folly in Chapter 8, uh, uh, Lady Wisdom in Chapter 8, and Lady Folly in Chapter 9. And just as a side note, Lady Wisdom gets a lot more space, a lot more verses for Lady Wisdom because she's more important. She's the one you want. Right? Lady Folly gets a little advertisement, a little commercial, you know, and yet she's very seductive, and yet we're tempted to fall in love with her, you know. Um, but th they're put together before you get to, you know, a wise son makes a glad father, but a foolish son is sorrow to his mother, right? In other words, you can't understand the Proverbs unless you have this in the background, right? Yeah, great question, though. Um, the order matters. Ted, Lee. I mean... Um, so obviously, typical ancient culture, you're going to prioritize the, the men are going to be the ones who are the active uh, more so. They're going to be the ones who are falling in love. Um, there's, a, there, there's a twist on that, in, even in Proverbs, we see, that mothers and women are called, you know, Proverbs 31 really gives a kind of twist that other ancient cultures wouldn't have. Um, but I think that there is that, that common refrain of um, Israel committing adultery, right? Adultery as spiritual folly, really that comes into play here. Um, I think the other thing is, of course, that often the son is mentioned here, right? A uh, father teaching a son or a teacher teaching a student. Um, yeah. But even then, if I said, there's a subversion of that at the end of the book. Greg. You know, that does mean, like the note is right in between wisdom and folly comes a, a, another theme that is just very evident all the way through Proverbs is the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. Yeah. You know, you see it in chapter 1, verse 7, you see it later in 19, you know, a continual, um, yeah. I say, a point of, of where does the decision come? You know, you, what helps you make these decisions? Well, if you fear God, 
teeter towards wisdom. If you lack a fear of God, you teeter towards awe. Absolutely. So notice again, it's only the start, right? It's not. It's not the actual uh, having of it, but it's a starting point. Starting point. Yeah. Very good. Very good, Greg. I appreciate you bringing that up because there is that uh, common theme mentioned. Anything else? All right, moving along then. Uh, a guide to folly. Um, I've already mentioned here that it's really the, the, the opposite of, um, of what it means to be wise. And yet, you'll notice with these two ladies, it looks similar. Right? The ladies are doing similar things. They're both standing. They're both calling. They, they're both women. They're both uh, attractive in some ways. They seem to be very similar. Wisdom and folly can seem very similar. But throughout the book of Proverbs, the opposite of wisdom is called foolishness. I have here at the top of your handout kind of a key verse if you want to know a lot about folly. Three types of fools are mentioned here. Proverbs 1, 22. How long, O simple ones, or you who are simple, love your simple ways? How long will mockers or scoffers delight in mockery or scoffing and fools hate knowledge? It's a classic verse here that, that shows us that we use the word fool today. It means, somebody, you know, you're an, you're an idiot. You're not smart. You fool. Um, it's a little more than an insult. But in Proverbs, in the Bible, fools are people who are habitually out of touch with the pattern of reality. Recall that wisdom is knowing the pattern. And second, knowing that much of the pattern of reality is hidden from your view. The fool either thinks there's no pattern which is a kind of a relativistic move, or thinks they can do the pattern themselves, which is kind of the moralistic move. Right? One's a more progressive, one's a more conservative error. But the fool, generally, is somebody who thinks they know reality, but they're wrong, or they don't know reality at all, and they're wrong. Um, you can't treat your body however you want to. You can't treat people however you want to and expect to have great friends and a strong family. You can't live selfish lives and expect society to function properly. But there are uh, various forms of foolishness. Yet you think about the very just beginning of the very basic question of what does it mean to have folly? Consider what Christ says. Christ gives a whole parable. I don't know if I mentioned this the first week or two, but in Proverbs, in, the, in uh, Proverbs 1, verse 6, the ESV translates this to understand a proverb and a saying. That word saying is actually... Uh, the word parable. See, in the Gospels, the parables are the Proverbs of the New Testament. Jesus Christ gives, <clears throat> he gives a parable. Matthew 7, 24 to 26. I'll turn there. You don't have to. Right? Matthew 7, classic statement. 24 to 26. We see here, everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house in the rock, and the rain fell, the floods came, the winds blew on the house, but it did not fall. He could have been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house in the sand. The rain fell, the floods came. It fell. Great was the fall of it. Um, doesn't mean you can't build a house, right? Notice the parable. You can build a house. You can build a life. You can have a great life. You can have a long life. You can build your house on the sand. You can build your house against the grain of reality, physically, psychologically, relationally, spiritually, but one day the rain's going to come and you're going to collapse. You're going to collapse. 
Um, there's going to be a great fall and there's going to be bitter fruit. I'd encourage you to think. I'm sure you could tell me if we had time to give me examples about where you see people's falling, ending them up in great falls, great problems. You, you know this, this happens. Um, but let's, let's move on then. Unfortunately, we can't spend a lot of time on that. We hit first here, just the, the mocker. This is Hebrew, Lassim. The mocker shows us that part of Lady Folly is mockery. It indicates to us that uh, intellect does not equal wisdom. You can be very clever. You can be very smart. You can have intellectual gifts, and yet that does not mean you are wise. It is not mental capacity, but our attitude that determines are we wise or are we foolish. This is why in uh, Proverbs 21, 24, I'll turn there, we find that a mocker is someone who has deep pride. A scoffer is the name of the arrogant, haughty man who acts with arrogant pride. What is the mocker? What is the scoffer? High-handed pride. Deep arrogance. Somebody that cannot uh, submit to anything. This is somebody who, who can debunk everything. I think today we have a lot of mockers in our world. As, as Lewis puts it, the person who can see through everything. As Cheston put it, the person who has an open mind that never closes. Right? There's always someone who can question, always someone who can be very smug, always someone who can be very knowing. Mockers appear very wise. This is the character in Pilgrim's Progress, right? Mr. Worldly Wise Man. The person who appears to be very wise, very sophisticated, very knowing. Now, of course, some things do deserve critique. Some things do deserve even satire. God himself, I have it here on your handout, three, Proverbs 3.34, God mocks proud mockers. There are times for snark, but only times to sit, the very opening verse of the psalm, to sit in the company of mockers is to make cynicism and sneering a habit a common habitual response. It will poison you. It will harden you to see through, as Lewis puts it, to see through all things is the same as not seeing at all. And we live in an age that, that encourages uh, this particular foolish quality. It makes reason discussion. This is why if you post anything online or whatnot, or uh, if you tried to have a reasonable, reasonable debate with somebody recently, it's a hard thing to do. We have to resist the enormous cultural pressure, the enormous pressure inside the church, outside the church. Because what does Christ say? Matthew 12, 19, and 20. He will not quarrel or cry out. A bruised reed he will not break. The mocker loves to break the bruised reed, to spot weakness and go for the jugular. A smoldering wick he will not snuff out. Um, I think it'd be good for us to consider when is the last time you've been tempted to roll your eyes at somebody? When was the last time you were tempted to dismiss somebody and not engage with them? Right? When was the last time you thought, that person, a fool, not worthy of my time? Right? This, is, this is the mocker. <clears throat> You'll notice in, in, in uh, 334, the contrast. We're learning here about what it means to be wise. The contrast between the proud and the humble. 
The mocker is someone who is proud. God shows favor not to the proud, but to the humble. It's that humility that, uh, that Christ calls us to. Questions on the mocker? And we come to the simple. And we'll talk a little bit here about the relationship between the simple and the mocker. It's an interesting relationship. But this, this, the second category that Proverbs lays out for us, I'm going to put it in the middle here, is the simple. This is the petit or the petayim, plural. <clears throat> the simple believe anything. Uh, every kind of fool is out of touch with reality in a different way. The mocker thinks, I know all reality. Nothing is hidden from my brain, from my sight. Wrong. You're not God. Mocker. Right? But the, fool, the next fool, second fool, is the simple. The simple are those who are like children, too easily led, too easily influenced. They often are over-impressed by the spectacular. They're not impressed by the ordinary. They're over-impressed by the dramatic. They're taken in by charismatic or forceful personalities. They need approval often. These are people who constantly seek it. They'll support leaders who promise them peace and prosperity, but may be tyrants in disguise. They may be intellectually lazy. They may fall for get-rich-quick schemes. There's a variety here, of course. But what's striking here is that the simple are not quite placed in the category of the fool. They are, well, open to either way. They can graduate into fool-blown fools, or they can become wise. This is why, even as we read uh, Lady Wisdom and Dame Folly, both the ladies, they're calling out to the simple particularly. They're saying, hey, simple people, come to me. And Folly says, no, come to me. It's hard to have that level of, of discernment. Um, as we read verse 5, Proverbs 8, O simple ones, learn prudence. Whereas Folly says, 9.16, whoever is simple, let him turn in here. The simple is the person who is gullible, who is willing to believe anything. Now, notice carefully, simple does not mean uh, podunk. Simple does not mean culturally illiterate. The simple can discuss, you know, uh, high culture. You can be sophisticated. You can be well-off. You can be well-connected. You can be educated, but simple. You can discuss uh, all the great questions of the day, but be simple. On the other hand, you can be unsophisticated. You can be a bumpkin. You could not be well-off, not be well-educated, not be well-connected, yet be wise. The two are not uh, equated. And one of the marks of the fool is to equate sophistication uh, with wisdom. There's a uh, Timothy even today to look at uh, cities and glorify in the Christian church, glorify cities, the cities where things happen. Therefore, we need to be there, right? But I think if you consider yourself and consider your life, you can probably think about somebody you've met who you thought at first was simple, but turned out to be wise. You thought they were a rube, but turned out actually to be smarter than you. If you think about that, what kind of traits did you see? You've had an experience. You've seen, you thought, you, you looked down on somebody. But then you discover later they're actually very wise. What kind of qualities did you see in that person? 
What do you see in someone who you thought was simple but actually proved to be a person of wisdom? What kind of qualities? I think there's humbleness that's deep there, Taylor, because there's not relying on your sophistication. You're not using that as your your identity, who you are. That's good. That's good. Yeah. Now, as I mentioned, the simple and the mockers have an interesting relationship. The simple are those who are often um, led astray by the mockers. This is why um, today in our, our current culture, the ones who get all the publicity are those who are mockers, those who debunk, those who, you know, put up a video and say the experts are wrong or those who put up a video and say the experts are right. Those who those who kind of debunk uh, one theory or this theory. And. Um, the problem is, if you look up to the if you're the simple and you look up to the mocker, you never actually develop, develop loyalty. You never develop that trait that. The New Testament talks about perseverance because there's nothing to persevere with. You're always debunking everything. You never have that long-suffering steadfastness that marks Jesus Christ. He set his face towards Jerusalem. He set it like flint. But in a world of mockery, in a world that debunks everything, uh, there's no loyalty ever. It's, it's a fair-weather fan at best. Um, you have the eyebrows that are arched. You have the sighs that are knowing at just the right moment to make you doubt, to make you critique, to make you feel impressive. So simple people, beware. Beware and learn sense. <clears throat> Any comments on that before we proceed to the obstinate? All right. Third, uh, third category here, and I will put this in the uh, folly section, would be the obstinate, the kessil. Those who are, <clears throat> well, they think they're wise. This is the most common word in the book of Proverbs used for the fool, the obstinate. The main mark of this type of fool is that they are wise in their own eyes. A fool is somebody who thinks, I don't need to come to this Sunday school class. I already know all things. I'm already a wise guy. I'm already so smart. I know everything, right? The mark of the obstinate person, the Cassiel, is that they never can be taught. No teaching. They don't need it. They don't need to be taught anything. They already understand it all. Think about your kids, parents. Your kids are classically obstinate. They think they understand. We are naturally obstinate. You know, the, the psychologists tell us that um, parents need to intervene in their kids' lives. You know this. You've got to intervene in your kids' lives because some children will experience difficulty and some will respond with anxiety and they'll withdraw. Some will respond with aggression. They'll fight. They'll assert that they'll act. They'll just do something, often rash, but they'll do it. Some will respond with optimism. They'll be very social. 
And each of those three types of kids, you know, the optimistic, the social one, the kind of withdrawing one, and the very action-based one, uh, each default works well in some situations. But if you're always doing that, if your only option is to withdraw, if your only option is to assert yourself, if your only option is to uh, talk to people and be cordial and polite, well, you're going to be a fool. And part of our problem is that we, uh, we tend to grow up and become and, and kind of double down on our default temperament. This is one reason why I'm not a huge fan of the personality test. Because the temptation is, oh, this is who I am. This is my taxonomy. I must be this type of person. And then you gradually fall into that over and over and over again. You don't learn to be ambidextrous in your personality and in your response to things. But true wisdom requires the anxious to become more bold, the bold to become more cautious, the sunny and optimistic to be more thoughtful about things. And you think about Jesus Christ. He encounters a lot of problems in his life. Can anybody tell me what type of personality Jesus Christ has? Is he always sunny? Is he always assertive and action-based? Is he always withdrawing? Of course, the answer is that he's none of the three. He's not a personality. He doesn't have a temperament. He is perfectly wise because he always responds appropriately to every situation with perfect wisdom. Of course, the problem is that folly is bound up in the heart of a child. That if we are stubborn and obstinate from our youth and we think we're always right, well, we're never going to have the wisdom that Christ displays. We're never going to be able to consider what is best in this situation. Christ wants that for you. He wants you to not be obstinate. Questions on being on the, on the obstinate person? Comments on that? All right, moving on. The troublemaker. This is uh, Proverbs 6, etc. Um, I'll read here. You have in your outline. A troublemaker and a villain who goes about with a corrupt mouth. The troublemaker is someone who is constantly complaining. The person who is the opposite of the peacemaker. The one who stirs up conflict. Now, of course, the thing about this, this is also very common today. Um, I suppose these are always common. But hey, I'm living today, so I'm going to say it's common today. Um, This is the opposite of the bridge builder, the opposite of the person who builds careful answers that disarm tension. This is not the person who uh, insists on honesty to overcome false peace. Sometimes honesty is the best policy. But if you find yourself always telling the truth to people, if you find yourself just giving the facts and not caring about other people, maybe over time the wake of ruined relationships in your path will tell you that you're actually the troublemaker. We're told in 6.15 that disaster will overtake the troublemaker. The ultimate reason that they will fall is because the Lord hates a person who stirs up conflict in the community. And so part of the fool is someone who love to create hostility and not peace. And you begin to see how 
some of these, of course, connect together, right? We're talking about types of fools, but of course, somebody who's obstinate and insists on their own way will often cause trouble. Somebody who causes trouble will often be mocking. You see how this often messaged together that, you, that just like virtues, so with the vices of folly, they go together. The fruit of the Spirit goes together just as this fruit goes together, the rotten fruit. The fruit of the flesh goes together as well. Any thoughts on that, troublemaker? Somewhat quickly. Okay, moving on then to the, uh, the sluggard. This I think is, if, if we know anything about Proverbs, as good Americans who like to work, we know this one. Go to the ant, you sluggard. Consider its ways and be wise. The wise person is somebody who does not need uh, a threat to do a work. A self-starter. Not impulsive. Not practicing uh, immediate gratification, but delayed gratification. This is Proverbs 6, verse 8. The ant prepares her bread in summer and gathers her food in harvest. Proverbs here is looking to nature, looking to creation. Look at the ant. The ant works hard. No chief, no ruler, no external boss. And prepared for the harvest later on. On the contrast, the sluggard, unfortunately, uh, lies there makes excuses, a little, a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding. A little is the key word there, obviously. A little. This is uh, 610. A little. That's not a big deal. A little. Not a big deal. Just a little. A little. But what happens? Verse 11. Poverty will come upon you like a robber. A little, and then suddenly, a little, little, little step. Bam! The robber hits you. By inches and by minutes, opportunity slips away. Now, J.D. Vance writes in a hillbilly elegy, a book about the Appalachian Mountains and about work. He tells of a guy named Bob. Bob worked in a tile warehouse. His girlfriend worked there. Bob missed work once a week. He was always late. He took breaks every day, half an hour at least. Uh, his girlfriend missed work every third day. She never gave notice that she'd be gone. They were fired after many, many warnings, and Bob was furious. The author concludes that many of us today are immune to work, um, and the result, in part, is social decay. This is what Proverbs warns about. We think of Christ himself. What does Christ do? Christ says, my Father is always working, and I, too, am working. John five seventeen. on that. We'll have one last one here. Okay. Very good. So even, even in this, that uh, to put the category of work into the pattern that God grants to us of, of resting and then working. Yeah, very good. Uh, finally, the trapped. I'll put it up here, I suppose. There's no Hebrew word for this one, in part because uh, it, it describes the situation you get into when you've been in folly for a while. The trapped. Those who like to trap others end up trapping themselves. 
Proverbs 1, 16 and 19. Their feet rush into evil. They're swift to shed blood. How useless to spread a net when everybody can see it. These men lie in wait for their own blood. They ambush only themselves. I think the NIV here has that great, that great way of putting it. Um, you know, the birds are not stupid. The birds can see the trap. If they see the trap, they're not going to fly into the trap. That's the point. That's the image we have here. Uh, even the birds are wiser than people who think they can trap others. What does the fool do? The fool sets traps. The fool sets traps for other people to gain the world. To gain the world. But as you seek to gain the world by getting at others, by putting them down, you lose your own soul. So that's, that's, the, that's the question that uh, should come to us. Have you done something selfish that rebounded back on you? Think about your own life. Have, have you done something selfish that rebounded and hit you? Like a boomerang. That's the proverb here. Right? You, you, you lie in wait, but you lie in wait for your own blood. You set an ambush, but you're the one who gets ambushed yourself. Uh, this is why Christ says you must lose yourself to find yourself. You must lose yourself to find yourself. That's the gospel. Um, I guess that's sufficient for this day as we come to consider what it means to be a fool. Some of this, I hope, has, has made you want to be in love with Lady Wisdom. Are you finding that these descriptions of folly are really describing your own life? I think they, they certainly describe mine in some ways. They certainly uh, cause me to say, where, where is the mockery? Where is the obstinacy? Where is the making trouble? Where is the sluggishness? Where is the entrapment? It's that humility that we've been talking about. To know I'm not wise. The first step to becoming in love with Lady Wisdom is to recognize that your heart tends to love Lady Folly. This is why in Galatians chapter 3, the Apostle Paul makes a somewhat weird comment. You know, I don't think we, we, we consider this as we um, read through Galatians. You know, he, he, he says, <clears throat> 3 verse 1, O foolish Galatians, it's interesting that when Paul is talking about the gospel and following it and not following it, he doesn't say, oh, wrong Galatians. You're just wrong. You're just not right. He doesn't say, ugly Galatians, you're not pretty. He says, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? You see, Paul, when speaking about justification by faith alone, looking to Christ alone, he uses the category of folly and wisdom. He says the ultimate foolish action you can do is to try to meet God on your own, using your best efforts. The ultimate love, of the ultimate affair with Lady Folly is to say, I can get to God myself. And the ultimate wisdom, therefore, is to receive the Spirit, not by works of the law, but by hearing, by faith. And that's what it means, really, even as Greg mentioned, to fear the Lord, to trust Him. Say, your way, not my way. No more obstinacy. Your way, not my way. Your work, not my work. There's wisdom for us, friends.
Let me, uh, let me go ahead and close this in prayer. <clears throat> Father, we come to you and we ask that you would grant to us the heart that wants to be in love with wisdom. Give us a heart that seeks after her. Show us in ourselves where we have these marks of an affair with folly, where the obstinacy and the making trouble and the sluggishness, just a little, Lord. And ultimately, Father, above all else, the love that we have for our own aims, our own dreams, ourselves. Give us that humility of spirit. Give us that seeking after you and grant to us Christ himself as our wisdom. For this in his name. Amen. Thank you all. Always.